Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Mm. It's the word of the Lord, church. Thanks, Wanda. Let me pray for us before we sit down. Uh, so Lord, as we open your word, can you open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? Spirit of God, can you help us receive and sense every good gift that is before us today? We want to hear it, Lord. Help remove all distractions. In Jesus' name, amen. In FC. So one of the areas of my marriage that I am working on is uh, when my spouse is in distress, uh, I do not always need to be a fixer. Uh, sometimes what my spouse needs is me just to be a feeler alongside her. And we've had very uh, tough conversations about this. A couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to uh, do this. I uh, could tell uh, my spouse was in the kitchen and she was distressed. Uh, so I came in to uh, save the day. And uh, when she is in the kitchen, she is on her phone and she is just saying in frustration, she's like, I can't stand her. She won't listen to me. I said, this is my time, okay? I'm not going to fix anything. I'm just going to feel it. So what do I do? I, Absolutely, baby. She's the worst. She's the worst. I mean, she ought to know better than that. Now, who are we talking about? And she looks up at me and she goes, it's Alexa. We're talking about the voice assistant box that we got for Christmas, she goes, absolutely. I keep giving her commands and she is not listening to me. And I go, well, did you talk to her slowly and clearly? And she looks at me and she says, are you going to decide quickly and clearly if you're going to support me or her? <laughs> so I sit on the couch and I watch for 10 minutes as my wife goes back and forth with Alexa being like, Alexa, turn lights on, and she keeps them off. She says, Alexa, turn the lights to white, and they turn yellow. And over and over again, she's just dialoguing back and forth. And Alexa at one point goes, I'm sorry, would you like to provide feedback? And Carolina says, you bet I would. She says to Alexa, she goes, she goes, here's my feedback for you. You've zapped all my energy, and you are a waste of my time, and walks away. I walk up to Alexa, and I say, Alexa, and she goes, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. 
And I said, we're going to keep that between us, Alexa. (laughs) We've been in a series called Tough Talks. Each week we've been talking about conversations that can be difficult to navigate. We've talked about in this series how sometimes tough talks happen because we've done something wrong. Sometimes we have tough talks because someone has done something wrong to us. Sometimes we have tough talks because we have distanced ourselves or we have assumed something about a group of people. But today where we find ourselves in the series is quite frankly, we're on week five of sometimes we find ourselves in tough talks simply because we fundamentally disagree with someone else and the ideas that they're talking about. Now, some of you have said, good grief, Zane, how long is the series? We're almost done, okay? I promise, we're on the last lap of it. But we need to talk about today, how do we navigate disagreement? It's not misunderstanding. It's not that sin has been introduced. It is we just fundamentally disagree on these things. How do we not have relationships where it feels like we're just talking to Alexa? How do we have relationships where we don't just feel like if I talk about this thing, I'm going to be drained. I am going to be just no energy left in me. And I'm going to walk away and possibly just want to walk away from this relationship. How do you share your convictions and still share life with that person? That's what I want to talk about today. Today, I want to show just five hints that the Bible can actually show us of how do we navigate conversations where we find disagreement. And we actually find this in the passage that Wanda read to us today. If you want to turn in your Bible or maybe tap in your Bible uh, to Philippians chapter 4. Paul, who is this early Jesus follower, is having another one of these tough Conversation. I mean, if you would have seen Paul, you, you want to turn the other way with Paul. He is having hard conversation after hard conversation. And Paul is addressing a disagreement that is happening amongst these disciples that are in Philippi. And how Paul approaches this conversation can give us kind of five hints of how we approach the conversations that are difficult for us when we disagree with people. Now, the first one of the list, if you're a note taker, I'm gonna keep them up here today because I'm gonna probably throw a lot of content at you. The first one is simply that disciples are discerning of ideas. Disciples are discerning of ideas. Paul's gonna share the good news of Jesus. He's gonna take the first three chapters to be like, hey, there's good news in Jesus Christ. I'm celebrating that you've accepted it and it's the same news that you can accept in your life as well. That God has been fully revealed in Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came into the world and he lived in the way that God intended for us to live, even when humanity was not living in that way. As a matter of fact, when humanity was actually working against God. Jesus comes, he dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. Paul says this is super good news that God has enabled you in Jesus Christ to live not just the way that you were designed to live, but you can actually start to live the way that one day all of humanity will live before God. And right as Paul shares this news in chapter 4, 
he discusses how we will have people who will try to add, take away, or twist the news of Jesus. In Philippians 4 verse 1, Paul literally says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, from whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, what an honor, a joy and a crown, stand firm in the Lord, in His ways, dear friends. In other words, Paul is saying, belief in the resurrection of Jesus is a belief that is firm, not flimsy. That is a firm idea, and it is not a flimsy idea. And this will bring disagreement with people. There's always a temptation when going into the world with different ideas. There's one way of operating where you so badly don't want to be in disagreement with anyone that you're willing to agree with any idea that the world may present. And Paul says there are some things that followers of Jesus stand firm in, that we're willing to say we disagree with the world. We're discerning about it. I guess one way you could put it is Paul is basically saying, hey, when it comes to following Jesus, life is not a golden corral buffet. You're not just adding a plate of Jesus to other plates of ideas that you want in your life. Growing up, the, I, we didn't go to golden corral. You know where we went? We went to Sirloin Stockade, okay? That's where the Lord's people went, okay? It was a great buffet. I enjoy. Is Sirloin Stockade, is it still open? Okay, it is. Someone's got to tell me where it is because it looks like the building's just vacant. It's just gone, okay? I, I loved going to Sirloin Stockade, okay? When I was little, I loved, now I wouldn't go, but I loved it when I was little. Why? Because you could go and you could combine all sorts of foods that you were never supposed to combine. Where else can you go to get fried shrimp, red velvet cake, a milkshake, and cornbread all together? It was a beautiful moment as you were consuming it. It was not a beautiful moment in later moments in life. Why? Because some foods, they're not meant to be mixed, and they actually disagree with each other, and this is tested and tried and proven. Disciples of Jesus, they are discerning when it comes to ideas that come across the table. Life of Jesus is not just this idea that I'm just going to accept and love every single idea that is floating around in the world. Because standing firm in Jesus in the resurrection truth actually means that there will be things that we disagree with. One example of this that kind of shows this mental model you maybe have heard before is uh, sometimes people say, you know, when we're approaching truth in the world, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the story of the blind men with the elephant. There's not necessarily one wrong and one true. We're kind of all true. Every religion just kind of has its own flavor, its own taste. You know, the story just kind of goes that, you know, one man who's blind is feeling the trunk. And he's like, you know, God, this elephant is kind of like a snake. Someone else is maybe holding the ear of the elephant. Is like this. El this God is kind of like he's kind of like a fan. Each of them is describing the same thing, just in different ways. The only problem with that mental model is that the story still assumes there's a narrator, one who is on the outside looking in and actually declaring who reality is. 
To claim Jesus is to claim Jesus is the narrator of reality and truth. To claim Jesus is to say we hold fast and stand firm to things passed down from us. One of the best pieces of news is that faith is not DYI. It's not do it yourself. It's not something you reinvent. We actually hold and stand firm to what has been passed down to us. We call these confessional beliefs. The early church, the apostles, the people who knew Jesus, there were some fundamental things that they all agreed on. Things like the incarnation of Jesus. The things like the Trinity. The things like the forgiveness of sins. The things like Jesus was physically in a body. And that He was physically here. That He physically died. And that He was resurrected. All those things, non-negotiable when it comes to following Jesus. So disciples have to be discerning of the different ideas that are flowing out there because some of these ideas will be disagreeable. Second thing that we observe from Paul is when he is talking and navigating this, he, one of the things we can take from it is disciples can name disagreements. Disciples can name disagreements. We know this because Paul literally, I mean, this is bold. He just right in the letter, we know you can name disagreements because he's like, I'm going to give you two names right here. He says, Euodia and Syntyche, I want you to be of the same mind of the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side of the cause of the gospel along with others, the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I want you to remember now, when this is first being heard, this isn't in someone's email inbox. This isn't in someone's phone. This is out loud read to the church. This would be like me standing up and being like, uh, you know, um, Sarah, I think it's time to address this problem that we all know has been a problem. I mean, it's right there. Paul is naming it out loud. Sarah, there's nothing wrong whatsoever. Okay, I promise, promise. At least I know. No, I promise. All right. Paul is willing to name this out loud and he's willing to put names next to the disagreement. I think for some of us, it is difficult for us to name disagreements in our life. You know, maybe you grew up in a family background where naming disagreements was dangerous. Maybe. Your family assumed if you named a disagreement, you were automatically a dysfunctional family. Maybe for some of us, disagreement meant betrayal or no longer have acceptance. Maybe it wasn't a cultural norm for your family. But in the family of God, we can name disagreements. We can name them. Notice what Paul actually says around their name. He says, this church is like the crown, okay? This church is full of people who are a part of the book of life. This is Paul saying like, hey, these aren't just people that are on the edge of the community. Euodia and Syntyche, they are fundamentally people that are a part of the kingdom of God. Holiness doesn't mean that disagreement never comes up for the people of God. And one of the things that is helpful when naming our disagreements, is it helps us not only clarify what are we disagreeing about, but it also helps us weigh the level 
the degree in which that disagreement is happening. I find the work of Richard Langer and Tim Mohoff to be super helpful in thinking about disagreements. They created what they call a conviction map. And this is actually a way of thinking about the convictions that you hold in your life. Where do they come from? What weight do they hold? And how do you work them out? That we all start with just these core beliefs. These are, these are the things that are non-negotiable of the faith. And then you slowly move from where do you see these instructions in the Bible? And how, because of these two things, do we have values that we hold based off of that? And then how do we express these beliefs in practice? So here's an example of one. So one example of a core belief of the Christian teaching, Christian faith, is Genesis 1.26, that every human being is made in the image of God. And then you even have scriptures later on, like Genesis uh, 9, verse 5, literally uh, just says like this, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall shed their blood as well. For the image of God has God of all human kind. That you see instructions that say, hey, one of the ways that you honor the image of God is that you do not take life at all. That there's instructions that we have in the Bible that back up this core belief. And then we develop values based off of these two things. Things like every person should have dignity, protection, shelter and food, freedom, essentials to goods. But then when you start to move into the expressions category, this is where we start to actually see that there's a spectrum of beliefs, right? I mean, if I just list a couple, it gets really interesting in here. You know, we start to talk about, well, you know, what do these three things mean when it comes to punishment? What's this mean when it comes defending the vulnerable? What's this mean as far as health care for all people? What's this mean for education? What does this mean for handling aging? And one of the things this does is when we come to the table and we're at disagreement with someone, two things it does is, one, it makes sure that we hold the weight that even though we may not agree on these things, we still need to recognize that there are brothers and sisters who are still holding this core confessional belief. The second thing that it does is it also just helps us clarify what do we mean. So, you know, sometimes we imagine in the world when we hear people talk about subjects like this, we listen to them and we're like, oh my goodness, I disagree with that. I can't believe someone would think those things. But we kind of expect it, right? What we don't expect, though, is when followers of Jesus, people who are committed to the same Jesus that we are, land in different perspectives on these things. And one of the things that conviction mapping helps us does is it helps us remember that we are still in the kingdom of God with people who confess this core belief. Even if there's a spectrum of different ways people think about and approach and live out that expression. Which the next question for us is, Okay, you know, if we map out convictions and we talk about them and we find that in this category, we're on different pages of expression with people, then what do we do? The third thing that Paul will actually highlight in this letter is disciples can have 
disputable matters. Notice what Paul says to Euodia and Syntyche. Paul does not tell these women, hey, you need to get to the bottom of this disagreement right now. Paul doesn't even tell these two women, you know what, she's right and she's wrong. What Paul actually says is he said, I plead with you to be of the same mind of the Lord. Paul does not say find a compromise. Paul says be of the same mind. In essence, Paul is saying don't lose focus on the whole gospel calling that you are called to. That each of you should know how to follow Jesus in the best way possible in moving forward. If you've never heard the term disputable matters, this is not, it's not a worldly word. This is actually a word found in the Bible. It's actually found in Romans 14, 1 through 4. It is this passage in which Paul is working out just this disagreement that has been just a sore subject. It's between followers of Jesus as far as what they're consuming, right? And this wouldn't be like, a light conversation. This isn't like, what are you bringing to your Super Bowl party on Sunday? No, no, no. This would be like dietary ways. What you consumed were ways of showing allegiance to God. And there are those who are coming to faith that are saying, hey, we've got freedom in Christ. We don't have to pay so close attention to these dietary laws. And there's others who have grown up in the ways of God who are saying, I feel like we still need to have attention on these things. And this is what Paul says in chapter 14. He says, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling, over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with content the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does? For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. In light of the freedom of Jesus, Paul is saying that both of these ideas can exist together. That this disagreement should not disrupt the entire community of God. That there are topics that disagreements do split. But there are also topics where Christians in their right conscience can say, we are going to agree to disagree. It's almost as if Paul is saying, the Lord can handle diverse ways of following Jesus. And notice, Paul does not dismiss one way or the other. But he says, I want you to focus on actually the master. I want you to focus on Jesus with whatever your perspective is of that thing. And do not judge your brother and sister, but make sure what you're convicted of is a conviction that you're willing to stand before the Lord with. But do not disrupt the community for it. Disciples can have disputable matters where they can disagree on different things. But the one thing that Paul is in very close agreement with is actually what he says in verse 5 when he talks about 
what, no matter your position, what your posture should be towards others. And he actually says that your gentleness should be evident to all because the Lord is near. This brings us to the fourth thing, is that disciples are gentle in all disagreements that we have with one another. One of the ways my favorite writer says it is he says, Dis- civil discourse, it will not solve everything, but uncivil discourse will not solve anything. It's easy for us to say this. It's difficult for us to live in our lives. That we're gentle as we dialogue and as we approach disagreements with other people. One of the ways that I'm trying to work this out in prayer is I think that for me in my life, sometimes gentleness isn't revealed within the conversation when I have disagreement with someone. Usually my senses are very heightened. I'm like, oh boy, okay, we disagree on this subject. And I'm going to be very gentle and cautious of it. Usually where gentleness comes into play for Zane is afterwards. Am I gentle in how I think about the person I disagree with? Am I gentle in how I recap conversations? Am I gentle in how I talk about a conversation I've had afterwards? When we approach disagreements, are we gentle with one another? You know, one way of being gentle is just appreciating and recognizing the values behind someone's disagreement, even if we just don't agree with the point. Like, why can't we hear another person's perspective and just say, I disagree with that, but I value what you value that holds that disagreement. Another way of being gentle in disagreements is just acknowledging not just facts, but also feelings that come with conversations. Can we recap not just what someone thinks about a topic, but can we recap what they feel about a topic? And Paul's going to finish with just one more note. One last thing you can think about with disagreement. That Paul would actually say that we can't forget, that we have to rejoice in the Lord, and I will say it again, rejoice. And I think Wanda read that passage perfectly because I think Paul said rejoice in the Lord and then when he said rejoice again, he said it louder and said it stronger. I sometimes wonder, why would Paul say rejoice? I wonder if Paul recognizes that disciples can recognize disagreements as opportunities for devotion of Jesus. I wonder if Paul is on to something. That he knows that when we disagree, we have an opportunity to actually show our devotion to Jesus. When the world disagrees, what do we do? We usually tear each other apart. One of the most beautiful things about Christian community is when we disagree with one another, we love each other even harder. It's completely counterintuitive. When we disagree... We have a small window to reveal to the world the gospel. The gospel that is that humanity disagreed with God. When Jesus showed up as a human, humanity still disagreed with God. They actually worked against 
God. And Jesus actually died for us to be together with God and to be together with one another. The word atonement literally means becoming one. The church gets to witness in the world with disagreements. You know, one of the most meaningful places that I found the heart of Jesus was actually a small little church that I grew up in. It was a 12-member church. I spent the summers at my grandparents' church. It was so beautiful. There were 12 of us. We couldn't carry a tune to save our lives. I didn't even know how strict we were. We didn't do Bible classes because that literally wasn't biblical. I didn't know. I just grew up around it. Loved it. I met Jesus because of those 12 people. I also remember that one of the most heartbreaking moments I've had as a follower of Jesus is learning that that church actually split years later down my life. I actually heard the reason that they split. They split because they couldn't agree on if someone who wasn't in the churches of Christ could stand up and lead a song on Sunday morning. I remember when I was younger, I was heartbroken. How in the world could people who revealed to me Jesus also act in such a way that was not the heart of Jesus? The church every day has a chance to show the heart of God, or we can grieve the heart of God. We can split and we can quarrel, and we can show the world that we have absolutely nothing to offer that's different than what they experience. You know, maybe I think back to that instance with that small church, and I think to myself, you know what? Like, we've moved so far beyond that. That's not how things are today. But you know, then I start to think about how we treated each other during COVID. I start to think about how we play musical chairs in this area amongst churches based on preferences. I start to think about how we don't speak to each other because of how we speak online. Think about the ways in our marriages that we forgive pain, but as soon as we enter a new season or a new disagreement or argument, we bring up the same old pain, and I'm not sure that we're that far off as we once were. When we disagree and we do not continue to love each other and stay in community with each other, we have nothing different to offer to the world. And that's not true. Jesus has given us something to offer to the world. When humanity disagrees with God, Jesus did not turn around and say, I'm leaving or I'm breaking connection with you. He heads towards the cross, and it is brutally painful. And it is a pain Jesus takes on because he wants to reveal the love of God. Sometimes with those we disagree with, we think contamination theory. I can't be with them. Because if I'm with them, they may taint me and that I may become like them. And for Jesus, he did not give in to contamination theory. He actually saw people being together who disagree as a sanctification theory. That the best news is that Jesus prayed for you and me 
at the end of his life, before he died, he prayed and he said, I'm not praying for them to get it right. I'm not praying for them to know what they think. He prayed for them to be one. Brothers and sisters, I end you with this. The question for each of us is, are we working with that prayer? Are we working against that prayer? We have something to show the world. Uh, so Jesus, we pray your help with this. Lord, we claim the truths that you've handed us. God, help us to stand firm in what has been passed down to us, the news that you've revealed to us, the future that is coming, God. Lord, also help us to hold on to you in the midst of the messiness and the disagreements. Lord, help us to be people who are people of unity, not people of division. Lord, we pray for our past and repent of our past when we've made division the focal point. Lord, heal us and help us be healing to the world through your healing. In Jesus' name, amen.